you know, I try to figure out what is not right here. And some things can't be fixed, you know, and then if it can't be fixed, I have to decide, do I want to stay here and be a part of this? Or is there a way that I can use my energies in a more positive way? Hello, everyone. My name is Gabriella Dennery, MD, one of the lead coaches at DocWorking.com. Welcome to the Whole Physician Podcast. Now, I am a firm believer in keeping your heroes and sheroes from all walks of life in mind as a source of personal inspiration and professional inspiration, especially in those difficult moments. So who are they for you and what do you admire most about them? I recently reached out to one of my sheroes, someone I didn't know personally, to see if she would agree to be a guest on the Doc Working Podcast. And a week later, I heard back and she said yes. It is my great pleasure to introduce you today to one of my sheroes, Dr. Isai, also pronounced Isai Barnwell. Dr. Barnwell was a professor at the Howard University College of Dentistry for over a decade. She has administered public health programs at the Children's Hospital National Medical Center and at Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. Dr. Barnwell is also a commissioned composer, author, and actress, and is best known as a vocalist and recording artist for 34 years as a member of the a cappella ensemble Sweet Honey in the Rock. And for 30 years, she has conducted her Building a Vocal Community workshop and led community sings across the United States and on three other continents. Welcome to the Doc Working Podcast. My name is Dr. Gabriella Denry, and I'm so excited today to bring to you one of my personal sheroes, the one and only Dr. Isai Barnwell. So we're going to get right into the meat of this discussion, this conversation. Dr. Barnwell, thank you so much for being here with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're welcome. This is such a, mm -hmm. a, such a joy. When we spoke, when I contacted you, the first thing I said was thank you. Because years ago, I heard you speak as part of a panel discussion at the Schomburg Center for Research for Black Culture mm -hmm. in Harlem. Sweet Honey in the Rock was scheduled to perform at Carnegie Hall the next night. And you're a member of Sweet Honey in the Rock for over 30 plus years that you were at that panel discussion. And I remember there was a question from the audience. And I think that your response was meant for me. I don't remember the question but your response was, you are entitled to change your mind. And about three years before that, I made the decision to leave medical practice. And I felt really guilty about that. And your words mm. really allowed me to cut myself some slack. Mm. And so I reached out to you because I wanted to say thank you after all these years. I mean, that was like, what, 14, 13, 14 years ago. And wow. I, I said, mm -hmm. wow, let me do that. And then when you said yes to being here, I said, oh, thank you, Lord. This is a, <laughs> a second thank you. So I wanted to ask you about that phrase because it's been with me all this time. You are entitled to change your mind. And would you say that that's part of your philosophy? Um, I, I don't know that I think about it very often, but when I look at things that I've done, I've allowed myself to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of times, it's really the best thing that I could have done. Hmm. My mother was a very independent person. She was one of nine children. I don't know how you get to be independent in the middle of a flock like that, because <laughs> I'm the only child, okay? But she was so strong, you know, that if she had a sense of something and it wasn't right, 
she would just stop it and say, this, this isn't right. Let's rethink this or whatever. And I guess I've gotten that built into myself. Now, my father was, I must say, a bit more sheepish. You know, he never wanted to embarrass anybody or call anybody out or, you know, he always apologized for things. But when I think about it, he was born in the 1800s, which is a really scary thing sometimes, you know, because you realize that the whole system of etiquette was very different at that time. My mother was born in 1910, so she had a little bit of an edge. So in a sense, I feel like I'm one of both one from both of them. And that has expressed itself in many ways. I'm an only child and I got half of this and half of that. <laughs> and I keep trying to put the pieces together. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this will fit, you know? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> so at this point in your life, what do you think you take most from mom? And what do you think you take most from dad? Well, maybe a little bit more from my dad because music is ever present in my life. My father was a violinist. He named me after a Belgian violinist. And I studied with my father until I left to go to college. And I got in with no problem. Got into the All City High School Orchestra, which only had three of us at the time. And our concerts were at Carnegie Hall, you know, so he gave me a lot. But I always have this kind of physical and medicinal sense about things which I got from my mother and it's just in braid, you know, like wash your hands, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Many times it can be a little bit more complicated or deep than that, but I really do feel like, you know, I'm kind of split pretty much down the middle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's okay. Music has been a huge part of your life since you were two and a half years old or even before you were born, probably. Right. And at the same time, you have a master's and doctorate in speech therapy. You were a Mm -hmm. professor at Howard University College of Dentistry. Mm -hmm. And I personally remember your picture on the wall because I was a student at the medical school at the time. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And I have a postdoc in public health. Yes, you do. Couldn't stop. What can I say? And so, yeah, as you said, it's kind of ingrained in you. Both sides of all of that is ingrained in you because you worked at Washington Hospital Center or the Children's Hospital Center in Washington. Children's Hospital. And, mm-hmm. and Gallaudet yeah. University and public health and different arenas. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you've had an incredible journey and career. And with those influences, what led you to speech therapy? A doctorate in speech therapy and a professorship at Howard University. Yeah. When I was about 12, I went to my first play on Broadway. And it was about Helen Keller. Mm-hmm. I never forgot how I was consumed by that. And the things that sort of drive me now and have driven me all my life are, how do you work with people who have differences where society would demand that they somehow rather deal with it, you know? Or my own sadness at being enveloped in music all the time and knowing that there are people who will never hear it. Mm. how is there a way to compensate for that is there a way to compensate for the skills that they don't develop the way in which quote-unquote normal people Mm -hmm. uh, would develop them and so you know the sign language thing was so fascinating to me and lip reading was fascinating to me and I wanted to share all of the 
particularly the auditory things that I had grown up with all my life with people who somehow don't have access to that. And so when I chose my major in college, I thought I wanted to go into deaf education, but then I realized that there were all of these other communicative problems that people have. And I don't like doing one thing. If it's going to help one person, it could help everybody. So <laughs> I went into the speech path and I, you know, I learned about all kinds of facial abnormalities and see that goes back to my mother's part, mm-hmm. you know, the nursing part. And it's just been my life. So I've had this kind of span of things that I've been interested in and that I've kind of poked my head into every now and then to see what I could learn, what I could offer, et cetera. So I have had a really enjoyable life. You sure have. I have. have. Yeah. And then on top of all of that, to like be in Sweet Honey and then, you know, say to myself, okay, so what else can I bring to this group? <clears throat> Excuse me. There are people who can't hear you. Can we um, <laughs> can we add an interpreter here? Sure. So I became the interpreter and a singer, and then I realized, wait a minute, this is not working for me mm-hmm. because there are five voices in this ensemble, and we're adding a sixth. I cannot do two voices at the same time. Right. If I was the lead on every song, that'd be different, but I'm not. And that's cool. And I like what I do in the background, but I can't sign what the lead is singing when I'm doing a kind of background thing. So that was the beginning of Sweet Honey's using a sign language interpreter. As an integral part of the group. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So tell me what made you decide, or was it even a decision for you to do the quote unquote normal thing. In other words, okay, well, I'm a professor now, I'm teaching, I have a good job and I'm working with dental students and I just have to just do this for X number of years, retire and everything is fine. But you didn't do that. <laughs> what, no, what? I didn't. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. In some ways, I guess I'm a wanderer, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm doing something and I'm led to something else. I don't want to give this up, but I want to figure out what's going on over here. And I want to understand the relationships because something brought these things together. And so I think I'm always trying to figure out what's the relationship and how will that benefit me? And if I am doing both things together or I'm aware of those things, how can I benefit other people? Mm -hmm. So nothing is wasted, really. Like you, I don't you, think much is wasted. Yeah. I mean, my next question for you was, well, how did you jump from university professor to a world touring performing artist and recording artist and composer and arranger and teaching around the world at the same time? Was it really a jump? It wasn't a jump. I actually did a lot of it all at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in Sweet Honey, most of the time we traveled on weekends. So if I was back in Washington, D.C., you know, by 7.30 Monday morning, <laughs> if I needed to leave the airport in my professional attire, that's what I did. Went right on to work. I learned to sleep on planes. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I'm, uh, Pisces are those two fish swimming in different directions. That's mm-hmm. me. Okay. And was there any point where you, you said, well, maybe I should just not be that, that I should just kind of settle down and, and do what everybody else does or... 
Was that ever a question for you? No, that was never a question. Everything seemed to fit together for me, which is really weird, but true. Even in terms of my being a songwriter, because, you know, I did a postdoc in public health. (laughs) I was in Sweet Honey at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's when I wrote More Than a Paycheck because we had been invited to sing you know, with steel workers and blah, 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 different conventions and things like that. And for me, all of that began to come together. So like, well, how can I sing to this group and not share what I've just learned with other folk who don't realize what the commonalities are, Mm. you know? But if I, you know, write a song like More Than a Paycheck, where everything I'm doing is more than the paycheck I'm getting, and I am collecting things that are hazardous to myself or dangerous to myself and others or things that, you know, kind of make relationships a little bit difficult. I mean, we all do that. And so more than a paycheck for me is about exploring, discovering what's positive and negative about what I'm exploring. Can I make a change in it or should I just leave it alone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those are really my questions, you know. I get involved in things and I see what it is. And I really want to, if I'm going to leave, I want to leave positively or else I have to figure out ways to make it work, not only for me personally, but for the whole community that it's part of. So, so what I'm hearing you say is that you kind of made it your personal mission, perhaps that when you're in a difficult situation that you want to leave a positive impact imprint I may be putting words in your mouth, but you tell me if that's what I hear. Well, I think that's true. I think Mm -hmm. it's true. You know, I try to figure out what is not right here. And some things can't be fixed, you know, and then if it can't be fixed, I have to decide, do I want to stay here uh, and be a part of this? Or is there a way that I can use my energies in a more positive way? Mm. Uh, So, yeah. So it's just those kind of self-honoring decisions that you've made along the way. And that kind of segues into my next question, because there are a lot of young professionals out there who are still trying to find their place in the world, just like any other people along the way. Mm-hmm. And would there be any words of advice you have for them? I think so. One is, I think you have to be true to yourself. If something isn't working, then you have to figure out, do you need to change or do I need to change or do we need to find a way to come together? Those are the three questions for me. And it's really interesting to me how sometimes I can figure out ways to make it better by either changing what I'm doing or how I'm looking at it or just sitting down and talking about what are the challenges here? You know, what are the things that I don't understand that are making me feel like I'm not making the kind of contribution I would like to make or I don't have the skill for this. And that has happened. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just feel like a lot of times we ignore what's gnawing inside and we keep trying to make it work and then we get sick, you know, and that's not good. So I think I try to work stuff out so that I'm still healthy at the end of the experience and all the people who are around me are still healthy, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's what gives me the momentum to say, I don't think I can do this. I can help find you somebody who can step into this role. But I don't think I can stay here. Okay. It hasn't happened a lot, but I'm glad that I've had the courage and figured out a way to do it. 
Wow. Thank you for those words. That helps. That ranks for me as I'm listening to this, that ranks right up to right up there with you're entitled to change mm. your mind. <laughs> mm, yes. Yes. <laughs> On a personal note, you know, I'm also a composer. I play the violin, by the way, as well. Get and out! I've been You're playing twins. since I was six, but you beat me. You started at two and a half. Two and I half. can't believe that. <laughs> that must have been a cute little tiny violin. Amazing. It was little. <laughs> but it still sounded good, yeah, which is the amazing thing. It was a good instrument. That's fantastic. I know the baby violins I've had were not that great. Mm. <laughs> But hey, I still played them. And I think the ability to just make and create sound, I think is probably the most magical thing in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, across the years, I've met so many doctor, like physician, dentist, artists who are kind of closet artists, if you will. Mm. And so what advice would you give to them? And, you know, I'm selfishly asking that question as well. As someone who has a body of work, let's say they're painters and they have a body of work, they're photographers, they're writers, et cetera, musicians, composers, what would you advise them at this, you know, whatever stage of life they're in, if they still have an aspiration to bring it out into the world, what would be advice? I would say keep doing it because it allows you to do the other thing. Mm. You know, sometimes we don't realize that we need to have valves. You know, that we can, oh, let me shut this one down for a minute because this isn't working. You know, we have to have those ways of turning things off in some way or to some extent so that we can get our sanity back (laughs) Mm -hmm. and our energy back. Because these things over here sometimes are just draining your energy. And at the end of the day, you can't do anything. You cannot do anything. And, you know, sometimes I feel a little schizophrenic because I will shift in a minute. You know, it's like, I can't do this now. Push it aside, go do something else, have fun, go for a walk, you know, work on another project or something like that. And when I feel like I'm ready, then I can do this twice as fast as I could have if I had just kept plowing into it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's excellent advice because in the end, when I'm writing a piece of music, you know, my wife says this all the time. It's like, you are so happy when you write the music and you're smiling from ear to ear. You don't even realize. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing is, and what I'm hearing you say, you do it for you before anything or anyone else. You do it for you because it it kind of feeds you. As you said, those valves. Mm -hmm. I like that analogy that you got to close one valve and open another in order to feel sane and human and to take that time to do that. Mm -hmm. And so absolutely. So you, you have so many pieces, for lack of a better word, you know, public health advocate, advocate for the disabled, singer, songwriter, composer, choir master. You produced Continuum, the first songbook for Sweet Honey in the Rock. You have been a member of Sweet Honey in the Rock for all these years. All of you just prolific songwriters, and you've performed on world stages, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, whoa. Is there one umbrella that you think you can kind of sum it up, like in terms of what impact you believe you've had in your lifetime and you continue to have in your lifetime? Wow. I don't know if I've ever thought about that. Mm-hmm. I guess I see it the other way. It's like, thank you, God, for letting me play it in all these different ways. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I don't know. Not I think really. sometimes when inspirations come, I let them in. 
And sometimes it turns out to be really fun, really long lasting. Sometimes it's like, okay, that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, see ya. Bye. That's right. Bye, Felicia. We got to go. <laughs> Love that phrase. <laughs> You're right. Sometimes it's kind of like that. It's like, oh, that's dude. right. That's exactly <laughs> that, right. Mm-hmm. Because I mm-hmm. think that's about developing a strong sense of self. And it sounds like you've had that from a very early age. Another top five philosophy. It's like, look, life is way too short. And, you know, the more I get on in, in life, the more I understand that. When I was 20, I didn't get it. I got plenty of time. But as you get older, you get that very clearly, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's like, who has time for nonsense? Right. Yeah, exactly. 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 Dr. Barnwell, (laughs) I will always call you Dr. Barnwell. Well, you don't have to, you know that. I know that. But and you have choices on how to say my first name, either (laughs) Issei or Isai or what's your name? (laughs) Which one do you like today? Right. (laughs) Part of the reason is, you know, I remember when I was in Tanzania uh, many moons ago and the women were called mama. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you say that in the United States. Hey, mama, how you doing? You know, it it has a different connotation than you do when you're in Africa. And mm. when I would hear women being called mama, I didn't get it at first, but I learned that it was a term of not just endearment, but it was about, respect. it mm. was respect mm-hmm. because mama represented not just mother, but really a pillar. And so every time you bowed to mama and you called her mama before her mm. last name or, and the same with men, there was an expression, which meant a sign of respect for older men. And then mm-hmm. there was the other phrase, which is one of my favorites, shikamo, which meant I hold your feet. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I've never heard either of those. Yeah. And so I will say to some of my, the ones whose shoulders I stand on, but really who I hold your feet, shikamo, so reversing it. And so mm. I wanted to share that phrase with you today. Thank Dr. you. Barnwell. Shikamo, which means I hold your feet. Thank you wow. so much. We get you for the so first well. time to have a conversation and I've admired you from afar for so many years. And I tell you that one sentence, I will never forget. And it's often that our teachers, we don't say thank you. And the fact that I had the opportunity to do that and to reach out Mm. and say, thank you is just, I'm so grateful. So, so grateful. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. We can talk again. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Taran. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number 1. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at amanda at docworking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.